could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we are recording just before Monday Night Football starts. If you are watching the pod live, you are already aware of that fact. And if you are just listening, you are now aware of that fact as well. So, what we're going to do today is we each have five takeaways from the action that we have seen, which is, again, every game except for Ravens Raiders, which is going to be getting started in just a few minutes, and really talk about what stood out to us from week one. Now... Our two teams did face off this past weekend. Logan, the Steelers and the Bills, we had a bet on it for several quesadillas. Remarkably, you won the bet because the Bills did not look so good. So I know you don't think the Steelers looked all that good either, but I think the appropriate place to start here is with me just railing against the Bills. So anything you want to say before I get into that? Just a hello to the people maybe? Hey, what's up everybody? You're going to enjoy this. Thank you. And I hope that you all enjoyed, those of you who were watching live on Twitter, me just giving finger guns to the camera for a while because the stream wasn't showing up for us on YouTube. So didn't want anybody to miss anything. All right. Now I got to get into the zone where I'm actually ready to talk about the Bills. So here's my first takeaway. This better be the worst game that the Bills play all year. And I truly mean that because I think that this was a worse loss than anything that happened last year. I think it was worse than the Titans loss because at least in that game, The Titans kind of just blew us off the field. They played great offensively. The play action was working. In this game, the Steelers played an outright bad game, and we managed to play a worse game as a clearly more talented team. And I think that it's not just that we played a worse game. It's that we mismanaged it and had so many countless missed opportunities. If you just look at how we started this game, because we were up only by a field goal deep into the first half when it did not feel like that should have been the case, this is how we started. First offensive series, we get a tremendous kick return from Isaiah McKenzie to the Pittsburgh 24. What do we get out of that? A field goal. We gain five yards on that drive. On our next series, we have two holding penalties, which take away first downs that we had gained, and we have Josh Allen miss what would have been a walk-in touchdown for Emmanuel Sanders, who just cooked the DB who was on him, and Josh was a little juiced up. He overthrew the ball. That happens, but in combination with the two holds and what happened subsequently, very painful miss. Next series... Fourth and one at our own 46, we punt. Josh wanted to go for it. I thought we should have gone for it. I think that's a spot where you play aggressive, you trust the offense. We didn't do it. Next series was a similar situation. Fourth and three on Pittsburgh's 43. Again, Josh wanted to stay on the field. We punt. Then, our next offensive series, we start on Pittsburgh's 35 after an abysmal punt, and within three plays, we have fumbled the ball. So you're looking at several possible scoring opportunities, right? Once you get to midfield, I think you play aggressive. We didn't. And then you have just penalty, lack of discipline, and just all around missed opportunities, bad football. And then as the game progresses, we stop even having those opportunities. Like the offense just flat out collapsed. And when it came down to the big plays, we terribly mismanaged them. Play calling in this game was horrendous. On fourth and eight from the Steelers 35, the Bills elected to go for it. And Tyler Bass would have been kicking into the wind, so that certainly played a component in that decision. But he was 4 of 6 from 50-plus last year. He hit a 58-yarder. Maybe he wouldn't have made it, but when you go for it on 4th and 8 in field goal range of any kind and you don't come close to converting, that's painful. But maybe justifiable. The far more inexcusable decision was later in this half on 4th and 1 
where we have Josh Allen, we have a 6'5 athletic freak, literally just have him jump over the line, just have him get the first down, and instead he throws a lateral back to Matt Breida, who loses seven yards, is crashed down on immediately by one of the Steelers' DBs. It was just unthinkably incompetent. And then, once that happens, once you've gone through a half of football in which you should have been up 20 to nothing, and you're up 10 nothing, and then to start the second half, you get frankly screwed by a holding call on Trey White on what was an interception that would have completely changed that game. But guess what? That's what happened. And in the subsequent series, the Bills did nothing to respond. Josh was inaccurate. The play calling sucked. Nothing was flowing. And when that happens... You let the Steelers get a couple field goals on the board, and now you put yourself in a position where you can lose the game on a blocked punt return for a touchdown. A blocked punt for a touchdown, I should say. We should never have been in that position. That game should not have been competitive, and so you can look at that and say it's fluky or whatever, but it happened, and it shouldn't have been able to affect the game in the way that it did. So all around, I just thought penalties were bad. Josh played, I'd say his worst game of the last year plus. I don't think he played a game this bad last year because, again, he was just so inaccurate consistently and if you're expected to be a Super Bowl contender this is why I say that you can't have another game like this all year because this is a loss to a Pittsburgh team that did not play well at home and you can't have multiple losses like that so again the one thing you can point out and say that's out of their control was the Trey White call because that game was 10-0 and the Bills would have then had the ball at the Steelers 35-yard line and it ends up resulting in a Pittsburgh long drive for a field goal. That definitely changed the momentum. But you know what? If you perform like they did for the rest of that game, I really don't think that there are any excuses. Like, maybe that kept the Steelers alive. Human error sucks from officials no matter what. But it was a disgusting display. And if you go on the road to Miami and play like this, you lose by three touchdowns. I don't think that that's what they'll do whatsoever. I can't imagine this is what this Bills team looks like going forward. I can't imagine that the offense regresses like that. And the defense, I actually thought, was pretty good. I thought that the secondary did a great job in run support. I thought that they effectively limited Najee. And they shut out the Steelers in the first half. But in that first half, there were too many chances. Because the Steelers' defense was really, really good in that second half. And definitely played a significant part in the Bills being shut out effectively. But in the first half, I just thought the Steelers' defense was fine. And it was the penalties, and it was the missed throws, and it was just the all-around sloppiness that killed the Bills. So, I was beyond disappointed. And you can't play another game like this. You just can't. And so I'm still optimistic about this team, but good grief, man. When you have months to build up anticipation, and you're a touchdown favorites effectively at home, and you play like that, disgraceful and as bad of a loss as there's been in Buffalo in the last year plus. Since, by the way, what was one of the worst losses possible to the Texans in the wildcard game. It's the worst loss since then. I think you hit it on the head, Carson. I think the big thing uh, is the mismanagement. Um, you talk about the two late fourth downs that you go for in the fourth quarter. What I didn't understand is in the moment why in the first quarter you didn't go for it towards midfield. It doesn't make sense. You never punt the ball in that scenario, especially when you have a guy like Josh Allen and the Bills had momentum on both of those drives. They were marching down the field. Like, against the top-tier defense where, you know, drives should be expected late in games where this gets gritty, you're not going to have those same opportunities. Just take advantage of it. And Josh wanted to go for it twice early in that game. I think those came back to haunt him a little bit. But, Carson, you say that <laughs> – I don't think the Steelers played a better game than the Bills here flat out. I mean, 
just to run down some numbers, dude, like I think you guys just flat out outplayed us on both sides of the ball. Allen outgained us completely on offense. He had 314 total yards to our offense is 252. Devin Singletary outran Najee 72 to 45. They had more first downs. They were better on third downs. We just had one blocked punt return for a touchdown and swung the game. Like, this was not a – I saw, Carson, I saw a post on CBS Sports after this game, and they were grading each individual team. They gave the Bills a D-plus and the Steelers an A. They did not watch that game. <laughs> exactly. Like, if you were giving the Steelers an A after this game, you didn't watch. Because, let me tell you, as a Steelers fan, I'll give them a, a C-minus, a C, a D-plus. It was, it was embarrassing on both sides of this game. I love a good defensive battle, but that's not what this was. This was just shitty offense. Plain and simple. Like, the Steelers will not be in the Super Bowl if, if they don't fix this offense. Like, just to state the obvious here, a friend of the show, uh, Colin Cowherd, does the three-word game. And I, I said I'd drop this here. If you want the three-word game here for the Steelers, same old Steelers. Just like last season, the defense bails us out. We got filthy pressure on Josh. And, like, if there's positives you're going to take away from this game – it's on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, T.J. Watt, two sacks, tons of pressure all game long. Cameron Hayward, consistent pressure up the middle. Uh, he got himself a sack. Melvin Ingram defected that one pass that Josh was gearing up to throw. Um, that ended up being pretty big, and he had a lot of pressure that forced Allen to move in the pocket. Um, Highsmith looked okay, didn't have any big plays, and was offsides that one time, but I just like the depth that we have there, and we're going to be able to rotate guys in and out of that linebacking core to keep them fresh. Um, like... The defense looked good, but offensively, Carson, there's just a bunch of red flags. Again, the offensive line is where this offense is going to live and die, along with the implementation of the system. But the offensive line, moreover, we couldn't establish the run whatsoever. If we don't get Najee going the rest of the year, it's almost like a wasted draft pick. Like, we add nothing, no other dynamism to this offense. The big thing to me, though, Carson, the big difference, we cannot ask Ben to do this each and every game, and I'm not acting like he had some massive game, but the Bills got a lot of pressure on us. Greg Rousseau was getting up in there. You guys were getting pressure from the inside. Ben looked like it was 2011 again. He was having to dance in the pocket. He was having to evade guys to make plays. Don't get me wrong. Our offense is at its best when Ben is doing that, but I don't want him to have to. I want him to have time to find guys, and this wasn't a good Ben game. We got bailed out by by the receivers. We got bailed out by penalties. Like, Carson, the what the sole offensive touchdown that we had, um, wait, it got set up by a defensive pass interference call for 26 yards on Trey White. That's what set us up. Like, this was an embarrassing game on both sides of this ball. The Steelers' offense didn't look any better than it did at any point last year. For both teams, this is a disappointing game. Like, I mean, to sum it up, I already said this, but if the Steelers don't change anything, if this offense doesn't get any better, we're going to be able to compete with teams like the Bills and Chiefs game in, game out, because we're able to get pressure with four guys. We blitzed Josh Allen like three times, but uh, I believe his pressure was like 41% of dropbacks he was pressured. We can get pressure with four guys, and that's why we're going to be competitive against these teams. But this was a fluke, a complete and utter fluke, and that's the only reason that punt block is the only reason we came away. I'm embarrassed as a Steelers fan. If you want even maybe another area of concern for the Steelers, I thought that the front was excellent defensively, and I think that even a couple of those holds that were really frustrating on the Bills in the first half, Deion Dawkins had two, John Feliciano had one. Some of that is just imposed by the sheer force of that Steelers front and pass rush, and they're having to compensate there because they're out of position and they've been beaten. But 
I did not think that the Steelers' secondary was very good. I did not think they were great in coverage. I thought the Bills had a fair amount of open guys. And again, Josh just didn't hit them all that much. Like, if you were to commend them in one area, it was that for the most part, they took away stuff downfield with the exception of that one Emmanuel Sanders play. But in the short intermediate area, there was a lot of guys open. Yeah, I'd agree for the most part. I did think a few guys stuck out. Cam Sutton played a really good game. He had that. Uh, he allowed that touchdown early on. That was just a rifle throw by Josh. I don't think anybody's stopping that. Um, Cam picked it up as the game went along. I really liked what I saw out of him. He played really physical. Um, James Pierre had that big pass breakup on Emmanuel Sanders late in the game. But you're right. Consistently, like, honestly, man, like if we're going to put this on somebody, I think you can definitely lay it on the Bills coaching staff for their decisions. A little of this, even though Josh did have a pretty solid game, I think I got to put a little part of this on him. Like, Josh missed a lot of throws. And if he is even remotely on, this isn't a close game. The Bills put up 30 points on us because, yeah, we're lacking corner-wise. Like, we, again, we were able to get pressure on him, but if Josh is just on, we don't stand a chance. I guess you could make that debate for either quarterback, Big Ben or Josh, but Josh missed a lot of throws out there. And, yeah, you're right. Our secondary is definitely going through some growing pains. Terrell Edmonds got caught a few times lacking, and Josh just missed a throw. Steelers got lucky. And you talk about the quarterback play. Sure, you could say that about either guy, but who's the guy who's supposed to be on every timeout? Who's the guy who's supposed to be the MVP candidate and who had very few blemishes on his resume last year? It's Josh Allen. And that's why I say I don't expect this to continue. But the Bills look like a six-win team on Sunday. It was truly embarrassing. Maybe that's even generous. I don't know. Because the Steelers looked like a seven-win team, and the Bills ended up losing to them by a touchdown. So, all around discouraging. Each of us picked one of these teams to go to the Super Bowl. So, you know what? Great start for Nerd Session in that respect. Again, I'm not worried about the Bills. I'm not really worried about the Bills long-term because I think that you can look at some areas and say they were better than expected. First of all, I think the addition of Emmanuel Sanders is an excellent one. Like, that dude was open consistently. He is going to do great things to unleash this offense, and I don't know how many better top three receiving targets there are on any given team in football. And then Singletary was great. He was making guys miss. And on that one series, the run blocking was really strong. That dude had some big holes to run through. And then again, defensively, I thought that the secondary was good. I thought the run defense was really good, which was the weakness of this defense. Last year, you hold the Steelers to 75 yards on the ground on 3.6 yards per attempt. And 25 of those yards come off of that one Claypool end around. So, there are positives. If Josh Allen plays a good game and if Brian Dable calls a good game, then this is like, whoa, the Bills played really well. But that's such a big if when that was not at all the case. I think if there's one aspect I would look at the Bills and say that I was really impressed in, it would have to be the pass rush. I alluded to this earlier in saying that Ben had to scramble out. Greg Rousseau looked really good in his first game out there, got a lot of snaps, as did Mario Addison. Um, and like, I mean, if A.J. Epinesa and Jerry Hughes can be – middle of the road like dude I'm telling you like I expect Greg Rousseau to really pick this up the rest of the way he was he was getting after Ben and again that was the one real major weakness of this team um if they can pick that up and this offense just gets to because I completely agree with you I have no worries at all about the Bills getting back to what they were at their peak offensively last year I just think this was I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was just getting back into the swing of things. I don't expect this to continue. But if this pass rush continues like it did, and your linebackers, Milano and Trey uh, and Tremaine Edmonds did a really good job of patrolling and stopping a lot of stuff in the middle of the field. I just, dude, the Bills were the better team on on Sunday. And that's what's got to be frustrating for you as a Bills fan. Like, the Steelers didn't will, win this game. 
The Bills just lost. Well, I wouldn't say the Bills being the better team is what's frustrating to me because that didn't remotely feel like a game they deserved to win. That felt like a game they deserved to lose by a couple touchdowns. It just happened to be the team they were playing probably deserved to lose by a couple touchdowns too. So, great. couple of strong starts from some expected AFC playoff teams there, at least on Nerd Sesh. Oh, no, I want to flex, though. This guy called me crazy for picking the Steelers by a touchdown. We end up winning by seven. Who's crazy now, huh? Look, man, I really think that that's still – it's a weird take, all right? It was a weird game. Good for the Steelers. They pick up a win, but I don't think anybody involved in that game can feel good about their performance because that was just downright ugly. I'll compare that for my second takeaway to a team that I would have seen in the same conversation as the Buffalo Bills, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. And I already, after one week, regret not picking the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. I thought that clearly for so much of last year, they were the best team in football. Like, they were 14-1, and lest we forget. I was very confident about them going into that Bucks game, and then that game just went so horribly wrong. I feel like it just left a foul taste in everybody's mouth throughout the offseason. So even though I have them as my one seed... I didn't pick them to go to the Super Bowl. I had the Bills because I was like, oh, they're going to be a more complete all-around team. Well, not when you have just terrible offensive play as they did in this one and you let up a special teams touchdown. But the thing about this is that the Bills didn't play a good game, right? They played a flat-out bad game and they lost. I don't think the Chiefs played a great game either, and they went out there and they beat an expected playoff team in the Cleveland Browns. And you just saw the moment in which they flipped the switch. They go from down 22-10 at half to up 33-29 with seven minutes to go in the fourth. And sure, they have a fumble recovery that helps them in that respect because they started pretty deep in Cleveland territory on that final score, I believe it was. But you just already felt that the momentum had completely shifted and that they were clearly going to come back and win that game because Patrick Mahomes is invincible. Like, once he started rolling, once they were able to extend some drives... It was just like, okay, here we go. This is over. He ends up with 337 passing yards, three touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown on the day. And any concerns about the loss of Sammy Watkins for this offense, to me, are not looking all that significant right now because when Tyreek is just going to crush anybody downfield, as we've seen him do so many times, if you give Pat even an extra second in the pocket, I don't know how you counter that. I don't know how you counter Travis Kelsey who had another two touchdowns. And it was just every big offensive play once that second half started, the Chiefs just converted. They were 9 of 13 on third downs. Like, that's just ridiculous, and yet it doesn't feel unsustainable. They have a third and two, I believe it was, and Gabe Swartz and I and you had a discussion about, are they going to go for the short pass here or the run? They go for the short pass, and it's an effortless conversion. It's just an offensive machine like we have never seen before, and we all knew that, and yet I still didn't pick them to win the Super Bowl because... This defense did not look good here without Matthew, but I think that they're going to continue to be a solid to slightly above average defense when they need to be, and offensively, they're just going to be the best in the league. I don't care what the metrics say. I don't care what the exact points per game are. They're the best offense in the league because they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Tyree Kill, they have Travis Kelsey, they have a very solid offensive line, and by the way, I still think that we can see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire be more productive, get more involved in this offense, and so just outstanding, man. Again, that felt like the difference between the Bills and the Chiefs. It's a very different kind of off day, but on the Chiefs' off day, they still find a way to go out there and win a game, and on the Bills' off day, they just absolutely crumbled. And again, it's different, because the Chiefs ended up not having an off day offensively, 
and they really got going, but they did not start this game well. They could not stop the run. They weren't putting up points consistently in that first half. And then again, it's just you flip the switch and it's done. And nobody else in football can do that. Nobody else even comes close. Yeah, and it's not just the it's not just the the, fli- the switch being flipped. It's not just all the talent they have. It's the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs are the greatest team in the history of the NFL when it comes to closing gaps. Nobody can put up points in quite the barrage in the way that they do it. Like, that's what's so terrifying about them. When they go down four touchdowns to the Texans in the playoffs, who cares? We got Patrick Mahomes. We go down this big lead to the Browns. And you know what? I never felt worried for the Chiefs. It always kind of felt like, oh, well, you know, Patrick will get them back in here. Granted, the defense came up big and, you know, got a couple turnovers to make that happen. But still, it's it never felt out of reach. And on that, dude... Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes might be the most impressive QB wideout duo I've ever seen. Like, it's kind of the obvious, you know, you have the most talented quarterback in NFL history and one of the fastest receivers in NFL history. It's just unfair. Wherever Pat rolls out of the pocket, Tyreek knows where he's going to go with the football if he's motioning him down to come back. It, the connection between the two is special, and it's just when Pat can just have all that pressure in his face and just casually just roll out, launch a ball 50 yards downfield, it's unfair. And... <laughs> That's why it flows right into my take, Carson. That's that I think there's a clear Super Bowl hierarchy for the teams. The Chiefs, I think, are firmly in that top three. They're probably number one for me after this week. Again, when you can put up points like that. But my take here is that the Rams, the Bucks, and the Chiefs are definitively the top three teams when it comes to Super Bowl contention. And I don't think it's close. I think, again, what we saw from the Chiefs in week one, they were without Tyran Matthew. And I quote Gabe Schwartz said, the Chiefs without Tyran Matthew are like a dog that doesn't bark. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good analogy. Like the Chiefs defense just got marched on. Everything that the Browns were doing was working in that first half. Every throw that Baker was making was on the money. And there was just a bunch of open space. Once he gets back, I expect Spag and them to – and uh, Frank Clark was out as well. Chris Jones made all that pressure happen by himself. The Chiefs' defense is not at full health. They are still working on game planning the rest of the way. They're going to get better. Chiefs are obviously up there. As for the other two teams, <laughs> dude, I'm so happy. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to celebrate our, our Super Bowl picks from the NFC. I think the Los Angeles Rams are an absolute no-brainer. And I don't know really what I expected, Carson, out of Matthew Stafford in his first game. He looked even better than I could have imagined. Who would have thought? You give a, I, I have crapped on Matthew Stafford for so long, and I want to apologize because finally seeing him in a good system with a good rushing attack with talented receivers, I think the Rams are going to be damn near unstoppable this year, man. I, and the Bears are a good defense, and it didn't matter. Stafford was just picking them apart. It just looked methodical, man, surgeon-like. He's got all, him and Cooper Cup were connecting on everything. Like, Stafford just didn't miss that many balls. He played a damn near perfect game. That's a game changer. You saw what Jared Goff did for the Lions. He kept him in contention today. He messed up a lot, though, had some issues in the pocket. They don't have to deal with that anymore, man. You've got a consummate professional, a gamer, a guy who has been there and done that, Matthew Stafford, and that's all they need. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I expect the Rams, Bucks, and Chiefs to all be up near 13, 14 wins this year, and I don't think there are any other teams that I would say are even remotely close to them when it comes to Super Bowl contention, especially after what we saw at other you know, prospective contenders and like the Bills. Uh, I think it's those three. Do, are you in agreement with me, or do you think uh, there are any other teams that I'm leaving out that are kind of in that bubble? I'm not in agreement that that's an exclusive tier. I'm not taking the Bills out of that tier yet. One really, really ugly game is not enough for me. It's enough for me to say, hey, maybe I should have picked the perfect offensive Kansas City Chiefs, but 
it's not enough for me to cross that threshold and say I've lost any significant amount of faith in this Bills team. Because again, I still think that they should be a special football team. I think they should win 12 or 13 games. And I think they should at the very least be in the AFC championship game. Anything less than that is a clear disappointment to me. But specifically keying in on the Rams, because we've talked sufficiently, I would say, about the Chiefs and we went in depth with the Bucks on our last show, which you can go ahead and check out. What was really impressive to me about the Rams was the explosiveness offensively because that's an element that disappeared from this offense. Once you lost your most dynamic weapon in Todd Gurley and once Jared Goff lost the confidence and the right to throw the ball downfield frequently, this just became an offense that was about really not messing it up and trying to control the game on the ground and let's get to 24 points so our defense can win us this game. And it's not just that the Rams put up 34 against a very good Bears defense, and Stafford was unbelievably efficient, as you said, 20 for 26, 321 yards, three touchdowns. That's a great day. But it's that we're looking at a 67-yard touchdown to Van Jefferson, a 56-yard touchdown to Cooper Cup, and there's potential for even more dynamism in that offense when you just look at the weapons. Deshaun Jackson could get more involved in that respect. And so that's just impressive to me. I thought Tyler Higby looked really good, too, and continues to establish himself as such a versatile and athletic tight end and I don't know there may be even more involvement in this offense for him in the cards this year so I was just really impressed by them in that respect and it was a weird game to evaluate in my opinion in some ways because they didn't have the ball all that much because they were scoring so quickly and this game was competitive for maybe a little bit longer than you would have wanted where the Bears kind of just hung around even though I thought Andy Dalton did not look great, and all around, it just was not a very strong performance from the Chicago Bears. O-line, very rough. So in that respect, sure, maybe they could have played a little bit better, but I think it's clearly a very talented team, and I think that they're in that top tier. But I would extend the Bills. I would still have it as a four-team tier, and I love that your Super Bowl pick, the Pittsburgh Steelers, are already out of that conversation. Would they have been in that conversation before this? Or would you have just always had them in a separate category in Logan land where they're not one of the best teams in football, but they're still going to win the Super Bowl? I'm not an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm sorry for thinking your Super Bowl champion might be one of the top four teams in football in your eyes. Look, bro, I've already, don't do this, bro. I've already explained to you and the audience multiple times about why I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers to go to the Super Bowl. And what the, I'm going to bleep myself here. What the bleep would I have to look forward to about the Pittsburgh Steelers after week one. We were atrocious offensively. Pass rush is still pretty good. Who cares, bro? <laughs> I, no, like the Steelers are the Steelers are in that next tier of... Oh, bro, I don't even... Are they? You know who that tier is, bro? Uh, dude, that's actually a good question. That might be a take I need to come up with. Are the Steelers in that next tier? Or are we in the tier with like the Broncos, Patriots, Dolphins, and Titans? Don't. Wait, wait, wait. You mean your AFC, your AFC runner-up, the Tennessee Titans? Yeah, you know, like the, like the wild card teams. Look, bro, don't do this. I already look. Don't don't paint this picture to be something it's not. Okay. I'm gonna continue to paint this picture like Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> like Van Gogh, Van Jared Gogh. Um, no, the Steelers are not in that tier. Clearly, bro. I mean, we got the best defense out of that group, but that MF Ben didn't even throw for 200 yards. I don't even know if you have a better defense than the Bucs. Uh, to me, that, that secondary is better. I concur. All right. So I guess it's my turn to give a takeaway here. 
My third takeaway is that I think we may have undersold the New Orleans Saints, Logan, because I had them winning nine games, and I had them just narrowly missing my last wild card spot in the NFC, which I knew was probably improbable because I had all four NFC West teams making it. But I was like, you know what? I think they're four of the seven best teams. It's going to be hard to pull this off because they are probably going to eat each other alive a little bit. But regardless, I wanted to bet on the teams that I believed in the most. But when I really sat down and thought about this after their 38-3 to thrashing of the Green Bay Packers, I started to think even retroactively that maybe we should have seen this coming a little bit more. Because last year... This was a 12-4 and team with Drew Brees obviously just game managing with half the physical tools at that point, maybe of Jameis Winston, and not messing it up, sure, and that was never a certain thing with Jameis Winston, who famously threw 30 interceptions in his last year as a starter, but they did not have good quarterback play, they had average quarterback play, and they only had seven games of Michael Thomas. Now, I still didn't think that they were trending in the right direction in the offseason outside of those facts because Michael Thomas is not going to play until like midseason no matter what, and he really wants out of New Orleans, so he may not play for them at all. So I was worried about the weapons, because it's not just that. You also lose Emmanuel Sanders, who was a very reliable receiver, and Jared Cook, who was an incredibly consistent and productive tight end. So I was worried about that. And then defensively, I thought they might really lose something without Trey Hendrickson, who had, whatever, 13 and a half sacks last year, 14 and a half sacks. But I think that still... There are so many of the key ingredients to success for the Saints, regardless of those individual guys. They're still a very well-coached team, and I thought that they schemed a great game for Jameis, and obviously everybody expected improvement from him in this system. I still had my questions about him turning the ball over, and I don't think those have been eradicated by one game, but he was very good here with the five touchdowns, only 148 yards because he didn't actually throw the ball all that much, but in that simplified role, he did a good job of just making the right decisions. His pocket presence, I thought, was very good, and he looked mobile out there. I thought that he was outstanding in that respect. Six carries for 37 yards to the point where I'm like, why would you still use Taysom Hill? Like, other than the fact that you paid him $400 million, but if you put Taysom Hill in there, everybody's expecting the trick play, the quarterback run. Why not just do that stuff with Jameis? The answer probably because Sean Payton is in love with Taysom Hill and they paid him $400 million. But like they brought in Taysom Hill on the 2-1 time and he got stuff. And I'm like, just use Jameis for that play. Like there's not a big gap athletically at all. Well, and it's again, and it's more deceiving because they're, they're going to be fearing the pass. They're not expecting that QB, you know, power up the middle. Precisely. So I felt pretty good about Jameis's debut. I think he's going to be good. I don't know if he's going to be great. I don't know if we can say he's a completely different guy, but with this talent around him, with this coaching... I think he's going to be pretty good. But then the other thing is that the defense just looked fantastic again. And maybe we should have seen this coming. Maybe I overrated the loss of Hendrickson because he was just such a standout as a pass rusher for that group. But the run defense last year was unbelievable. And it was top five in basically every category. They allowed 3.9 yards per attempt. That was the fourth best in football. They were also fourth in yards allowed. Just 11 touchdowns allowed on the ground. That was the second best mark. And they came out, and they stuffed the Packers. They absolutely shut down Aaron Jones. Green Bay had 15 attempts for 43 yards. So if you can stop the run at that level, and then offensively you can just dictate the game with an elite run game and a quarterback who does have some dynamic tools and a good old line, you know, I don't know how I feel about the weapons. I don't know what the ceiling for this offense is. 
But if they can just score 25 a game, if they can just be slightly above average, and if this pass rush is solid, which I thought it was in this game, then this is going to be a really good team. And the final component here is that their schedule is not that tough. You're looking at the number 22 strength of schedule in football. Their two toughest outer division games are at the Seahawks and versus the Bills, but they get eight games against the NFC South and NFC East. So you're an underdog in both games to the Bucs, but you get them once at home, you can practically run the table outside of that. Like the Cowboys are the next biggest threat. And then it's take your pick of whatever other NFC's team or the Panthers, or maybe the Falcons have a big day offensively, but like there's not a single team out of that group who I think is better than the Saints straight up. So I think this could easily be an 11-win team and maybe they're still a 9-win team, but I just think they went 12-4 and last year. They were 13-3 and the year before that, if I'm not mistaken. And that was with very Andrew Brees. The only thing that does still stick out in my mind is the weapons, just because like this would be kind of an unprecedentedly lacking in talent group as far as the perimeter weapons go outside of obviously Kamara and if they don't get Michael Thomas back to be an elite squad. But maybe they're so good at every other position group and in every other phase and respect that they really just don't need it all that much. So I thought they were outstanding, obviously. And yeah, I think that we probably undersold them by a game or two. I have basically the exact same take, and I, I thought you summed it up pretty well, Carson. I also had them winning nine games. I think this is clearly a 10-11 to 11 win team on paper, maybe 12. I genuinely believe that. I, I thought you laid out a lot of the reasons why we th- thought there was going to be regression. The biggest loss to me, Trey Hendrickson. I didn't expect this pass rush to be as dominant. Finally, Carson... Marcus Davenport showed up, bro. I have been banging that drum for two years now that Marcus Davenport was going to step up. He finally gets a sack here. Defense looked great. Secondary looked solid as always. Pass rush got home against the Packers. Again, really surprising with their losses. But offensively, I I think is is where you identified the real swing thing here for the Saints, and that's the weapons. They relied really heavily on Alvin Kamara throughout this game to just establish the ground game, which is – it's something that Jameis really hasn't had a whole lot of. You know, he had a few good seasons of Doug Martin. He had a few good seasons of Ronald Jones. He's got a genuine number one, like, who he can go to. And that's, that's what makes this Saints team so dangerous is when they are, you know, preparing so much for Kamara, Winston, Winston can just take care of that. Uh, he can just, you know, take advantage of it. And I want to focus on Winston for a minute, Carson. You talked about his mobility. I've never seen Jameis Winston move like that since he was at Florida State. Who who is that guy? Like I've he looked confident, and after the game, I know everybody was making fun of Jameis for his press conference because it was hilarious. Uh, and be prepared, and then he you know goes be prepared again. That's exactly how Jameis looked though when he rolled out of the pocket. Like there was with a purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. Like he had done this so many times. Like Carson, I, I'm going to get into a little bit more like his mechanics and what we saw of him in the pocket. But I I just think this sets a precedent for. Like, Jameis was almost a lost cause after, like, leaving Tampa Bay. There is, like, such an unknown factor of coaching in the league today. Like, you give just a talented guy with a big arm who's fast like this, you give him a year of preparation under a good head coach who knows what he's doing in Sean Payton. You get him prepared in this system to make progressions and reads. And look at what he does. Like, again, not an outstanding day yardage-wise, 148 yards. He's not making super big throws. He's not making super complicated reads. But you took a guy who threw 30 interceptions in his last year starting and you trimmed it down to zero interceptions and five TDs and he looked confident. Jameis had completely had his confidence stolen back then. And again, into the progressions and reads, dude, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, I've I've never seen a I've never seen Jameis look look this poised in the pocket, look this confident, look like he knows 
what defense he's reading. Like, he was picking apart Green Bay just with simple reads. And that's impressive. That's growth in his game. I, I expect major things from Jameis as this year goes along. And if Michael Thomas comes back healthy and wants to play, maybe the Saints are a Super Bowl contender. Like, I don't think that's that hot of a take. You have two of the best weapons on uh, in, uh, like, the complete – in all of football on offense, and then a really competent quarterback in Jameis with a top-10 defense, I I think we criminally underrated the Saints, man. I will just go back to that one sticking point for me a little bit, which is that we didn't see them have to dominate through the air regularly in this one, and they probably won't all that often because, hey, you run the ball 39 times for 171 yards. That's a pretty good formula, but, like, just the leading names in – yards through the air for the Saints in this game. Deontay Harris, Jawan Johnson, and Adam Troutman, those are your top three receivers. That's insane. Like, that's crazy. Chris Hogan is getting a touchdown catch on this team. Shout out Chris Hogan. Previously, Bill's Chris Hogan, not Patriots Chris Hogan, because then he joined the dark side. And definitely not lacrosse Chris Hogan. (laughs) All right, so we both had a Saints take. Let's give it back to you, though, because I was the one who kicked that one off. What's your next takeaway? So my next takeaway has to do with a team that played, (laughs) as you alluded to, my AFC championship pick, the Tennessee Titans. The Cardinals are actually going to have a chance at winning the NFC West this season. And maybe stating the obvious, because I know a lot of people were pretty high on the Arizona Cardinals coming into this year, had picked them to make the playoffs, had picked them to win the NFC West. I was not of of that party. I was of the belief that the Cardinals were likely going to be fighting for the, you know, three seed out there, finishing. I had them finishing dead last and winning nine games, missing the playoffs, they look dominant on both sides of the ball um, against the Titans. First, I want to touch on the defense because the Cardinals have, two years ago, the car, the defense was downright bad, was the reason they weren't competitive in any games, as was the offensive line. Last season, the defense gets up to, you know, fringe top 10 status. This defense is explosive. Like, the biggest thing to me, Carson, was on flat routes, on drag routes, on in routes, inside the numbers, on little runs, little anything short. Every defender was crashing down and just slamming into guys. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's Kingsbury. I don't know if it's Vance Joseph. Like, they were moving, and I, I know there's a cliche, they were moving like a unit, but they all looked hype. They were like a, like a pack of wild dogs, man. Like, I, I hate going to the, to the analogies and the cliches, but... I've not seen a defense like this hungry, like the Cardinals were, man. They were, and again, I'm going to reiterate that the just crushing, the crashing down every single time somebody touched the ball downfield, everybody was heading towards it and shutting things down. Big reason why the Titans couldn't get uh, couldn't get anything going. Uh, They completely stuffed Derrick Henry again, 2,000 yards last season. He ate on everyone. At one point, Derrick Henry had seven carries for eight yards. Had what, I think nine carries for eight yards? Like, they shut him completely down. You have Chandler Jones, who maybe you had question marks about him uh, coming into this season because he missed 11 games last year with a biceps injury. Dude, Chandler made Taylor Lewan his, you know what, bruh? I mean, he was exploding every snap right off and crushing Ryan Tannehill. Chandler Jones was trying to get that bag. He's trying to get paid. J.J. Watt was getting consistent pressure. This defense looked terrifying, bro. Offensively, 
super clever. Like it's it's what we've come to know out of the Kingsbury offense. I've never been this. I don't know if I've ever been this impressed with their offense. They lose a guy like Kenyon Drake. It doesn't matter. Chase Edmonds comes in and completely supplements all he did. Sixteen touches for 106 yards, 6.6 yards per touch. And again, before the play. A lot of play action in this game, a lot of RPO stuff, screen action, pre-play movement. It's just going to be hard to read with all the dynamism and, the, and talent on this offense. And again, just with how smart Kingsbury is, is as an offensive play caller. Kyler Murray, amazing touch on his deep balls. Just rocketed some passes up in the air. And again, I have I have been the biggest supporter for Kyler Murray when it comes to, I said I've take, I would take his legs over a guy like Lamar Jackson's because I've never seen a quarterback this agile, this quick, and he's just dancing around guys on the Titans' D-line. And that pressure got home, and it didn't matter. Kyler was just just dancing all around them. I, I was so impressed with the Arizona Cardinals, Carson. I wasn't expecting it whatsoever. Oh, every team in the NFC West looked amazing. The Cardinals impressed me the most, though, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think, you know, we're talking about underrating the Saints. I think I completely overlooked the Arizona Cardinals. And it's going to be tough in the NFC West. But again, dude, I don't think 11 to 12 wins for a team this talented is that crazy of a take, especially if Kyler Murray comes out week in, week out, and looks like he did. I think that you're right in a lot of respects there. What's tough about the NFC West is you can't pick every team to win 11 or 12 games, right? So there has to be some sort of odd man out. Like, even that, I don't think picking a team to win nine games is all crazy disrespectful. But yeah, they were remarkable, and... To those of you watching, you probably saw me aggressively nodding my head when Logan was describing the defensive effort, but I just think you touched on it. Guys were flying around the field, playing with just a kind of speed and intensity and energy that is rare to see. And the Titans just looked outmatched and overwhelmed. And this is an offense that has Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and Ryan Tannehill, who had 36 touchdowns to six picks last year, and they never got anything going, and they looked outmatched for the entirety of the game. Chandler Jones, I don't know how you could have had questions about him in his first four years with the Cardinals. He had 60 sacks. like He has been the most consistent pass rusher in football, but this was one of the best games by a single pass rusher that I have ever seen, yeah. ever. To do that on a three-time Pro Bowler and Taylor Lewan, who sure maybe isn't outstanding every single game, but there were a couple instances where off the snap, like within a half second, he was by him, and poor Tannehill just got absolutely rocked over and over and over again. And there's just an abundance of talent on this defense, and they're fast, they're athletic, they have difference makers up front, you have a an all-pro safety on the back end in Buda Baker. You have a couple of talented young linebackers in Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. Simmons ended up leading the team in tackles in this one. Like, I just thought that they were remarkable. And offensively, yeah, I think that we were both confident in their ability to replace Kenyon Drake with Chase Edmonds. I think that that was validated here. And a couple of the throws that Kyler made, there was the one rolling out to his right that he just threw a dot into the end zone, into the back of the end zone that was remarkable. But then... The throw of the week and probably one of the throws of the year was the deep ball off his back foot that traveled probably like 50 yards for a touchdown. Like, the guy is just a kind of talent that is so unique. I don't know who you can compare to him and say he has every physical tool because there are the guys who are a little bit bigger and stronger like a Josh Allen or whatever. There's a freak like Patrick Mahomes. But does anybody have this combination of quickness and agility and arm strength in all of football? I don't think so. And that's not to say... 
you know, that what he has is more valuable than what Mahomes has because it's not. But I have been a believer that he's a fringe top five quarterback. I said that throughout last year. And honestly, I thought that that was probably a more widely held opinion than it actually was because I don't think many people held him in that regard. But I absolutely think that's what he's going to be this year. Dude, the way he moves, you, know, you talk about other quarterbacks, like the only guys I think you can compare him directly to, mini Patrick Mahomes, like quicker Russell Wilson, literally two of the you know top, again, top five quarterbacks in the league. I think Kyler Murray definitely reaches that this year. I think he's, hell, probably already there, like you said. Yeah. If Deshaun's not there in football, there are contenders for that fifth spot because I think that the top four is Mahomes, Allen, Rodgers, and then Russell Wilson until proven otherwise for any of those guys. So you have Lamar and you have Brady, I guess, as the other contenders, but I don't know. Kyler can do things physically clearly that neither of those guys can do, and if he can consistently produce like he did in this one and limit the turnovers, he's got the weapons around him. Christian Kirk was great in this game, which is really valuable for them to have a really trusted number two in that respect, and Maybe number three if A.J. Green comes along strong. Like, the Cardinals are going to be really good, man. I still don't know what my exact hierarchy in this division is. Like, I think that they probably have a better roster than the Seahawks, definitely. I don't know about the Rams and the Niners because those are great all-around rosters. But they have the second-best quarterback in the division, and they could easily be a top-10 team on both ends. And this was kind of what I said in the preseason was I said that I wouldn't be surprised if they were just slightly above average on both ends, and I think that they end up being a slightly above average team, and I think that I undersold them there. I think they're going to be very good on both ends. I don't know if they're a top five unit offensively or defensively, but they could easily be top 10 in both. This is a crazy talented team, and I agree with you. They blew your AFC runner-up Tennessee Titans out of the water. Hmm? What? Yeah, remember how you picked the Titans all the way to the NFC Championship? Ah, I'm drawing a blank. No, it's what happened. That happened. Yeah. Here's who would do who would like pick against the Chiefs or the Bills? That didn't make any sense. A drunkard and a Steelers fan. So, when it comes to the Titans, I don't have an official takeaway, but they were clearly one of the worst performers of week 1. One of my bold takes for them before the season was that they would be a top 20 scoring offense of all time and a bottom 20 scoring defense of all time. Looking a little better in one of those fronts than the other, but there's just such a clear ceiling on this team. Like, if you cannot stop anybody, you cannot win enough consecutive games to actually do damage, and that is clearly the strata in which they fall. And by the way, unless this O-line plays a lot better, then this is not going to be a top-five offense in football, which I thought was highly probable. I think I referred to it as basically a lock at a couple points because the weapons are otherworldly, and if they could just establish the run like they did last year, they'd be golden, but they were not close to that in this game. I still think that they're going to score a lot of points this year, but they could easily be 8-9 and nine because they're not going to stop anybody, as expected. Yeah, I definitely think there's growing pains with the offensive line and the new offensive uh, coordinator in town. I think that definitely played a role into all this. I expected to pick up, but I, I want to touch on real quick, Carson. The uh, Did you see the Mike Vrabel clip of him just ripping into Julio Jones for that penalty? just made no sense man like it was I it, it's not like Vrabel's comments weren't unwarranted Vrabel was talking about how you know it was completely inexcusable and he cussed a couple times and he was talking about it and it, it's not like it wasn't but it was just pointless at the end of the game you got this new wide out in town and you lost by 
It's not Julio's fault you lost by 25. Why don't you go coach up the defense, Mike? To me, it just seemed like he was kind of taking his his frustrations out on Julio when his anger was kind of misguided. I just don't like that, man. I don't like when coaches just tear into players for my – do that behind the scenes, man. Don't do that in a full presser, especially to a – it just felt disrespectful to an all-time wideout, a brand-new guy here in the heat of the moment. I just don't like when guys do that and call out players, you know, in front of everybody. How do you feel about Brian Kelly calling for the cold-blooded murder of his entire team? When did that happen? Did you not see that video, Logan? Do you live under a rock? Brian Kelly after the game, after the Notre Dame-Florida State game? That's what I thought you were talking about, the Notre Dame game. Yeah, when he said that he thought his entire team should be executed. That might be a little too far. I I might draw a line, you know, just, just under that. Yeah, well, really, I thought he was playing... A brilliant game there, and I thought that he just crushed it. I thought he nailed that line, and I would pay to go see him do stand-up. Three or four hours I'd pay for. I'd get my popcorn, I'd get my soda pop, and I would just lean back. I could be the only guy there. I could be the only guy there, and I'd be talking right to Brian Kelly, asking him about that airplane food, because you know that's how he opens his routine. How's that airplane food? How about that airplane food? I want to kill my whole team. How about that airplane food? Not much good. Neither is my team. Want to see him dead. Cool guy. Really cool guy. I believe he mentioned like an airplane accident in there about his team as well. That was a part of the routine. Logan, I don't know about that. It was on Comedy Central. You didn't see it? <laughs> okay, I must have missed that. That actually sounds pretty hilarious. All right, here's my next takeaway. And this is one that I'm pretty excited about, Logan. Maybe a little bit of confirmation bias here, but I don't think so. Jalen Hurts is the truth, as they say. And you and I were right to be excited about this Eagles offense because... We were pretty consistently pro-Eagles guys throughout the offseason. Not that we haven't gone crazy or anything, but I had them as my number two team in the NFC East. And dating back to last year, I was very impressed by Jalen Hurts. Regardless of whatever the final stats were, under constant duress, behind that old line, I just thought he consistently looked more composed and better, frankly, than Carson Wentz as a third-round rookie. Or was he a second-rounder? I don't remember. But either way, I was just impressed. And I think that now that you see him with another offseason under his belt, with really some improved weapons around him, he was really, really good. Played a really clean, efficient game. 77% completion rate with 264 yards and three touchdowns through the air, and then another 62 yards on the ground. Started the game off great, 6-for-6 with a touchdown, and he's just composed. He's just a guy who knows how to control a game. He knows how to make the right decision, make the right read, make the right throw, and sure, a lot of this is screens, a lot of it is short stuff, but also, he made a good deal of throws under pressure, outside the pocket, on the run, which is a skill set that is immensely valuable, especially when you're playing behind a not-so-great offensive line. And so, I continue to be encouraged by his play, but it wasn't just him. I think all around the weapons on this Philly offense looked really good. Miles Sanders, who also... Huge Miles Sanders guy. One of my bold predictions before the year is that he'd have 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Whoa, bold. Yes, bold. That's the point. He was really good. I thought that we saw him get more involved as a pass catcher again, which he wasn't as much last year, which was great. He has four catches for 39 yards. Had a really nice play with some impressive run after the catch in one instance. Then you see Devontae Smith come out, 71 yards and a touchdown. And I think I may have slightly undersold the other weapons on this Philly team because no longer are we looking at J.J. Arcega-Whiteside as the number two or number one receiver here when things were bad in Philly a couple years ago. 
Goddard is obviously one of the better, probably a top 10 tight end in football. Jalen Rager had a really nice game. Ertz, who is apparently now going to stay in Philly and be happy about it. Like, if those are your two through four options, with Sanders as a legitimate pass-catching back who can make dudes miss in space, those aren't crazy weapons, but it's probably closer to average than it is to the bottom of the league. And I think Devontae Smith can be a legitimate number one receiver as a rookie with the target share that he's going to get. So, all around, I just think they looked good. Obviously, they blew out the Falcons 32-6. to The defense was pretty good in that respect, too. I'm shocked that the Falcons only put up six points against anybody. They're not going to be very good this year. And this was probably about as bad as it can get for them. But I thought Philly looked good defensively. But I'm going to focus on the offense because that, to me, is what's more fun, more exciting. And when you have guys who are young like this, you're building a foundation. So even if you only win seven games this year, I think Jalen Hurts is... It's tough to say if a guy's a franchise quarterback because it just is so dependent on the pieces you have around him because it's so much about coaching and offensive line and weapons and defense play and all that. But I lean yes. I think he's going to be a top 18 quarterback in football, and that's a guy who, if you put him in the right positions to win, can go out there and win you games and is worth investing in. So I just thought all around from Philly, A+. plus, Great game. I completely agree on the Hurts point about him being a franchise quarterback, and I think you touched on why. It's just guys, like you said, they don't have this special skill set that Jalen Hurts does. And you talk about weapons around you. That's why I think Jalen Hurts is so special. He doesn't necessarily need those dominant offensive linemen because of his ability to get out of the pocket. And, dude, him as a pure passer, Carson, he had some touch on some balls. I was just crazy impressed with him. I haven't seen Jalen – I haven't seen him you know, just show that – innate accuracy that he did in this game the one touchdown to Devontae uh towards the front corner of the end zone perfect little pocket for him to catch and so the cornerback couldn't get it I'm all in dude you talk about uh the future uh they may only win you know seven or eight games this year I think they have their trio of the future offensively and I don't know man I expect I expect almost a playoff push out of Philadelphia this year man and I may have been a little too high, honestly. Oh, look at me, man. I'm already going back on like my two, three biggest takes here. The Eagles might be the second best team in the in the NFC East just because of what they can do offensively over like the football team behind the Cowboys. That almost makes me want to go right in. Wait. Oh, over the football team. Okay. That makes me want to go right into my last takeaway, but it's your turn, so I'll let you go. What's your next takeaway? My final takeaway uh, is actually another team I was pretty low on uh, heading into this season, the team I picked to win seven games, m- you know, mostly because of who they had under the helm uh, at center, or under center, excuse me, and that's the Denver Broncos. I didn't have a whole lot of faith in Teddy Bridgewater to man the ship here, but I was super impressive what we saw out of Teddy. I, I didn't, you didn't have to sell me on any of the Broncos' skill position players, on any of the guys they had on defense. Wideout-wise, I knew what we were getting. Uh, Noah Fant, K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. Maybe like one of the best receiving cores in football. It doesn't really get any better than that. And Teddy Bridgewater was feeding guys. He was um, just like, dude, I, I don't know, man. I haven't seen Teddy Bridgewater play that good of a game in a long time. Like in, in New Orleans when we saw him at the peak of his powers a few years ago when everybody was super high on Teddy. First of all, he's throwing to Michael Thomas, and he had Alvin Kamara out there. He had super good weapons, but he wasn't doing a whole lot, man. It was super simple stuff. This Teddy man was fitting balls into tight windows. He was throwing aggressively towards the sideline. He was deceiving guys off of – because Melvin Gordon had a big game, and I think this is also a part of why Teddy had such a big game. The play action was deadly. 
The Giants were allowing just open stuff early on because they were so terrified of Melvin Gordon running all over them. Teddy just looked different. And then, you know, uh, the Judy injury does scare me a little bit. He was the leading receiver in this game. Six catches, 72 yards. He is going to be out with like uh, for six weeks with like a high ankle sprain. So that does concern me because Judy was so clearly the best pass catcher out here. But he did lean on Noah fans a lot. And again, when you have Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, Tim Patrick to rely on, I think they'll be okay until Judy gets back. That's only half of the equation here. Defensively, they put a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty easy to do. The guy, the guy's kind of oblivious to it. Um, Chubb, I thought, uh, I thought Chubb and Miller looked pretty good. Um, excuse me, no, Chubb didn't play in this game. What am I talking about? I thought Von Miller looked all right. I thought they, you know, put decent pressure on him. Shelby Harris returning up here did a good job of stopping the run. And secondary-wise, it's exactly what we expected. All of the new additions here in New York, also. It wasn't just on Daniel Jones and these weapons for New York. The reason that he sucks so bad is because their offensive coordinator is Jason Garrett. I want to get that out there, stating the obvious. Jason Garrett just blows. Uh, he should be fired midway through this season. He should be fired now. The guy sucks. But this secondary swarmed uh, the new additions here for the receivers and Daniel Jones. I, I, honestly, this is just super impressive. Uh, I thought, like, outside of having a slow start, Carson, I didn't think there was a whole lot differently that the Broncos could have done. Established the run well. Teddy looked like a completely different quarterback. Looked better than Big Ben. It wasn't that hard to do. Ben played like doo-doo, but he looked better than Ben in this first game. A lot of weapons here on offense. If this rushing attack continues, I don't know, man. I think the Broncos are probably a fringe playoff team along in that Titans, um, Patriots, Dolphins category. and are really going to – they're going to be a scrappy out regardless, game in, game out. I'm way higher on the Denver Broncos. Even though they beat up on the Giants and I think the Giants suck, I'm way higher on the Broncos now than I was heading into the year. I think that the Broncos have always been an interesting candidate for me. I believe I ended up with them at eight games, but I considered nine because it's a super talented roster, tremendously talented roster. And defensively, the expectation was obviously for them to be significantly better than they were last year when they really weren't all that good. But again, it's the Giants. Holding them to 13 points is probably going to be like not that far from their average on the year. But to do what they did without Bradley Chubb is definitely noteworthy. And then offensively, it was impressive. Teddy played a really good game, and you said it. I don't know if we can expect Melvin Gordon average nine yards a carry every time out, but he did have a really good year last year. And with Javante Williams in there, you have a pretty nice dual threat at the running back position. And so I think that they have a foundation to be, at the very least, a 500 team. The question is just how good can Teddy be, and can he sustain this? And I don't know if I have a definitive take on that yet, because I still think... He's a very low-ceiling quarterback, obviously, and maybe they can win 10 games with that because, you said it, the weapons are really good, they can run the ball well, and the defense should be really good as well. But I don't know if I feel all that differently about them just because I feel like, even based on what we saw in preseason, like we kind of knew that they could explode like this in certain respects. I mean, they were the best preseason team in football. Not that that means all that much, but the talent is there. It's just about, can Teddy do this consistently? Can the offense be this good all around consistently? And again, you're playing the New York Giants, who, ah, not good. Not a good football team. But I think the Broncos are going to be good. I think they're going to be solid worst-case scenario. Yeah, I think you're right about Teddy. Like, he's a floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser. Um, I don't know, man. The, the play calling was really good, too. Again, the play action just ripped apart the Giants. A lot of, a lot of you know, 15-yard corner routes to Noah Fant. A lot. Those were open all game long. And again, maybe... 
maybe I'm overestimating the Broncos' offensive ceiling with Teddy at the helm because they're playing the Giants and he looked really good, but everything looked right offensively. I'll need a few more weeks to, you know, really get a definitive take on the Broncos and see what they can do against a good defense, but this is really promising because I expected I expected Carolina Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater. Checkdowns in the middle of the field, five yards, ten yards. Teddy threw downfield a lot in this game, and that's really promising. And he threw it accurately, confidently, and yeah, he was just he was just on. And if Teddy's like that the rest of the way, the Broncos have a really good chance of doing some damage this year. I agree. I, because I think that those are the kind of downfield weapons who you have to unlock. You can't just be a hyper-conservative quarterback because then you're going to waste the dynamism of a Cortland Sutton or a K.J. Hamler, guys who get behind the defense. So I agree with you. All right, here's my final takeaway, Logan. Your three <laughs> boldest preseason takes all suck, all right? They flat-out suck. The Steelers are not going to win the Super Bowl. The Steelers are probably going to win eight or nine games unless that offense looks significantly better. And maybe they establish the run more. But they're certainly not going to win the Super Bowl. The Titans are disgusting defensively, much too bad to do anything of significance. Yeah, you walk on out. I'll keep on going here. And that was an abomination from their offensive line. And unless they find a way to correct that quickly and get Julio more involved in the passing game and just find a way to sustain drives, no. Not a good football team. I think that they'll probably be an above-average team by year's end because I still have faith in that offense, but not an AFC runner-up, and they're not going to beat the Bills and the Chiefs in succession. The Washington football team, who you picked winning 11 games, nope, not going to happen. They put up 16 points and offensively are just very clearly not going to be able to reach a high enough ceiling. So if you haven't been clowned sufficiently, you've been clowned sufficiently now because I went after you in the preseason for all these and I think they have all been very clearly affirmed. Unless you want to push back on the Steelers, but that's the easiest one to argue against because it was probably the most outlandish take to begin with. And a win is a win, sure, but an ugly win is an ugly win. I'm arguing all of them. This is BS. You literally used your last take to just take a dump on me? Dude, yes, because... These were offensively bad takes. You're just mad because Novak Djokovic lost to Medvedev and the Steelers beat the Bills, okay? I'm not going to let you take this out on me on the pod. It was a really rough sports day for tennis super fan Carson Breber over here. You, you care to elaborate? I just got really sad at the end of last night thinking about Djokovic losing. I got really sad. But no, that's not what this is at all. Like I went after you initially for these takes, and I'm pleased with how much they have been immediately validated. So I'm going to push back on all of them, like I said. I mean, the, to the Pittsburgh point, I'm not even going to refute it if the offense continues to look like it did. You know, that one, actually, I'm not going to argue. Like, if, if we look like that, <laughs> whatever. We don't deserve to go to the playoffs. The Titans one I will push back on. As I mentioned, new offensive coordinator. They lose Arthur Smith. Julio Jones steps into the fray, isn't really, you know, an impactful player. And it's not like this is uncharacteristic for the Titans. They started really, really slow last season and picked it up gradually. I expect them to pick it up. Like, I just think this is a completely uncharacteristic game for the Titans. The defense, <laughs> nah, that defense didn't get any, get any better. So that's probably where that take's going to die. As for the football team, they're in good hands. This was the perfect scenario for the football team in my take week one. Ryan Fitzpatrick going down was the perfect, was the best thing that could happen to this team, bro. I'm riding with Taylor Heineke. I think he's the best quarterback on the roster. He's more dynamic. You know, he didn't look great against the Chargers, but, but he he didn't he didn't mess things up, and that's kind of what I expect, man. Like the football team didn't play a bad game defensively; they limited Herbert enough. I okay, bro. Look, the football team the, the football team and the Steelers take are pretty bad at this point, but 
ah, the football team's going to win eight or nine games. Like, I still believe in that. They're going to be close to making the playoffs. If the Steelers' offense turns around, they could make a run. And the Titans are going to be a tough out once they get this offense clicking. So, yeah, man, they're pretty bad with how bold I went, but it's not like any of them are super far off. Like, I'm probably about three wins off for each team. You know what I mean? It's kind of far off to pick the Steelers to win the Super Bowl. Three wins off. Exactly what I see. Losing the wild card. That's <laughs> pretty optimistic. Titans, AFC Championship, three wins off. They don't make the playoffs. Football team, 11 wins. They probably win eight games. Sorry, man. I just overestimated by three. That's pretty significant in the 17 games. No, it's it's three games. So which one are you most confident in still? Is it the Titans? Probably the Steelers Super Bowl take, if, if I'm going to be honest. Just because I... I can see a way in the offense getting better. I can see Najee in this offensive line improving as the season gets along. The Titans are never going to have a top-tier defense. That's always going to handcuff them. The football team are never going to have a better quarterback other than Taylor Heine, unless they get Cam Newton, and I really don't know if that if that helps them in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I guess... That sucks, dude. My, I'm basically saying that my best bowl prediction was the Steelers winning the Super Bowl, and that's not happening, so... Sorry, guys. I kind of sold the bag, I guess. <laughs> I think that none of them are good. I was going to try to pick a favorite, but I don't think any of them are close to happening. I still think the Titans are going to be good because I was a big believer in that offense right alongside you, and then you took it a little far when you had the beating the Bills, and then you took it a little farther when you had the beating the Chiefs. So if I had had the Steelers beat the Bills and the Chiefs, would you have believed it a little more? No. That would have been a really bad pick, too. Those both would have been bad picks. But you know what? Hey, the Steelers have beaten the Bills once, so what do I know? Maybe I don't know anything, and maybe my picks are going to look just as bad in a week. But overall, my week one picks have actually been pretty good because maybe if you follow us on Twitter, you follow us on Instagram, you saw that Logan and I are now picking each game against the spread. I am currently 8-6-1, and one, and with the Ravens up two touchdowns, on the Raiders, I can go nine six and one, which would be pretty great. And Logan, you are six eight and one. Do you know off the top of your head? If you don't, that's fine. I'll just keep talking. Nine. I'm sorry. Nine six and one is that's seventeen or no? It's sixteen games. So I'm at like six eight and one. Sounds right. I think if the Raiders cover tonight, I'll go to seven eight and one. Okay. So yeah, that math's right. Seven eight and one. So there you have it. Boom. More content. And we're not going to go over every one of those picks on the air, but we are going to do that graphic every week. And by the way, some of you guys will notice my lock of the week, which was <laughs> Pats minus three to cover versus the Dolphins. You have to understand what happened there. Actually, it was Pats minus three. Yeah, either three or two and a half. Uh, two and a half, yeah. You have to understand what happened there was that my lock of the week was the Cowboys to cover versus the Bucks plus nine and a half. But we hadn't been on air and we hadn't made the graphics at that point. And I didn't say it officially anywhere, but I said it relentlessly to the people nearby me. So you got to believe me. You have to believe me, please. Because that was my lock of the week. And then I had to come up with a second lock of the week. Second lock of the week, that's eh, no good. It doesn't count. It's a second lock of the week. That's, it eh, doesn't count. Who's second lock of the week ever hits? Precisely, Logan. Although I did think about having the Eagles as my second lock of the week. I wish I had done that. Why didn't, I also want to give you a little more credit. You also said that the Steelers-Bills game was just about a lock of the week. Why didn't you go with that one? Because... I wanted to hold out some hope for the Bills to win convincingly. But overall, my bold predictions for week one, not so bad. 
Not so bad at all. We didn't talk about Zach Wilson. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that one either, bro. Can we just like sweep that one under the rug with my Titan Steelers and football team take? No. <laughs> Let's just say I, I've been a big Panthers pass rush guy. What did they do? Six sacks. Zach Wilson, very rough opening game. You called me a nut and a loon and... One of my bold predictions was they would win by two touchdowns. That didn't end up happening, but they were up 16 nothing, and they were up 19-8. Like, that was never a ball game. I, that was a really convincing Panthers win. And, yeah, dude, I completely undersold their pass rush. Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick put it on Zach. I, yeah, I still like the, the Jets' offense, but against Premier Pass Rushes, Zach Wilson is, is going to get licked. I kind of want to just briefly run down the couple games that we didn't talk about. Mac Jones and Tua faced off. That was 17-16 Dolphins. It was not as much them facing off as it was two great defenses facing off. I don't know that I have any crazy takes. I thought that they were both kind of what you expected as far as the teams and the quarterback play. Mac threw it a little bit more. I thought he was a good decision maker. I thought he was accurate, consistent, reliable, as you expected. And Tua played a solid game manager game, kind of like he does. So... That one was kind of what I expected. Seahawks going on the road, beating the Colts by 12. That was pretty impressive. Russ Bald in that one. There were more games that we didn't talk about than I thought. So, you know, we're not going to talk about all these. Anything else that stands out to you? A little Jags-Texans action? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was where I was going to point the finger. Trevor Lawrence, when he had time to throw, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a goat, man. Like, it's it's obvious. I don't care how bad he gets beat up over there. Trevor's a special talent, and it's obvious that he's going he's gonna to be special. I was super impressed with Tyrod Taylor, though, man. Like, shout out him. Like, Tyrod looks like he wants to do something special with this team, and he doesn't care what the expectations are. And honestly, uh, it's hard because they played the Jaguars, and the Jaguars are so talentless. But the Texans look like a five or six win team with that offense. Again, it is the Jaguars, so I see you making that face. Is do you think that's the only game they're gonna win? I don't know about that. I picked them to go two and fifteen, but I think it's more that the Jags are every bit as bad as them, but with probably a better quarterback. Yeah, I just thought, I don't know, man, Tyrod is a... I just feel like Tyrod's going to win them a couple games. They've got decent weapons in David Johnson and Brandon Cooks. Uh, blink a little, blink a few more times. Like, Tyrod's going to get them three or four. Tyrod doesn't win you games. Tyrod fails to lose you games. Although he did play a really good one here. I'm not going to deny that, but this is a Jags defense that last year let up 30 points a game, was one of the worst defenses ever, and they went 1-15, in and the talent they added to this team was Trevor Lawrence. A salient point as always, Carson. Like, I thought that the Texans were going to win one or two games this year, but I picked them to win here and to cover because I was like, the Jags are probably going to win three games, mostly because of Trevor Lawrence. Maybe I picked the Jags to win four, I don't remember, but they both suck. So, any thoughts on Vikings, Bengals, Niners, Lions? Niners, Lions, what a wild ride. Yeah, the Lions got crushed opening this game. Like, Goff was getting swarmed. He made a lot of bad throws, like, just, like, kind of rushed throws. Him and Hawkinson seemed to have a really good connection, though. We really relied on him. The one thing, yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up, Carson. I do have a little bit of a take about the Lions, uh, Broncos, or Lions, Broncos, what am I talking about? The Lions game, Niners game. Offensive line looked amazing for Detroit. Sewell looked great. And, dude, the run blocking. I have not seen a run blocking unit like that in Detroit in a long time. Like, maybe ever. Uh, Jamal Williams got a lot of push up front from those guys, was just bursting through the line. The offense was really clever. A lot of play action stuff. A lot of 
pre-play stuff with Goff and uh, the running backs and, J- and Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift. I-, I was just super, super impressed. Excuse me, that was embarrassing. That's kind of gross. I'm out here burping on the mic. What am I doing? You don't burp on the mic on Nerd Sesh. That's, a, that's like literally our rule number one. You don't burp on the mic. You also don't sip water when you're making NFL bold predictions. Not out of a straw. Detroit's got their offensive line of the future. Um, the Niners look dominant. As for Vikings-Bengals, uh, I don't know, bro. Typical Vikings game. Kirk Cousins throws for damn near 400 yards, and they lose by three. Typical Vikings fan stuff. Yeah. First of all, you violated the first rule of our Constitution, so we're going to talk about that off camera. Strict violation of the no burping on the mic clause. But if I had a takeaway from the Niners game, it's that the weapons are insane, and Kyle Shanahan can turn literally any running back into a star. Elijah Mitchell comes in and has 19 carries for 104 yards. Good grief, Raheem Mostert cannot stay healthy. That's a bummer. But you know what? It's really not going to matter for them. That run game is going to be elite no matter what. And, you know, mixed bag for them overall. But to be that explosive offensively as they were in stretches in that second quarter where they were aided by takeaways as well. But pretty impressive. And uh, other than that, I think that Vikings-Bengals was weird. I kind of wished that I had picked the Bengals to cover in that game just because I don't think the Vikings are that good. I think the Vikings are very mediocre all around, and they had chances early on in this game that they did not capitalize on, and they actually had a chance at the end of this game because they fumbled when they were getting into field goal range, but those are just a couple of mediocre teams, and the Bengals are going to be fine. If If Joe Burrow plays like he did... He was impressive. Mixon had a big day on the ground. Jamar Chase had a great game overall. So the Bengals could be fun. They could be respectable. And the Vikings are not a playoff team. I can say that with relative confidence, although they'll probably be better on the ground going forward. But all in all, I just think they're very eh. So there you go. We actually did end up talking about every game. So we gave you our takeaways and then we gave you the bullet notes. Boom. There you have it. This has been Nerd Sesh. If you want more Nerd Sesh, good news is there is plenty of it. Plenty of it. If you want to watch us on YouTube more, oh my goodness, that's amazing. All of our podcasts are live streamed on our YouTube channel. You can go ahead and check the videos out there. We have them stored. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your audio content. If you want some Nerd Sesh video breakdown, video essay content. Good news. Some is coming very soon to all of our NBA fans. Tomorrow morning, you will have a video from me in your feed. So I hope that you all enjoy that one. Recommend you check it out. And we do stuff like that all the time. I try to do one once a week. Logan has one coming up at some point as well. You can follow us on social media. Twitter, at Nerd underscore Sesh. Instagram, at Nerd Sesh. TikTok, at Nerd Sesh. To keep posted with what we're doing, we post video content from the pod there and graphics, all that good stuff. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.